1: everybody welcome back to the common good am 1160 hope for your life alongside aubrey Sampson. my name is brian Fromm. really glad to have you with us today we like to laugh a lot on this show and mm-hmm. do silly stuff but every now and then there's just heavy topics right and we're like you know what hopefully this is helpful for people to hear about so let me share a quick story okay. uh my uh i live in town downers grove my daughter is a senior at the high school there and yesterday we you got that email that you never like to get in mm. in the middle of the day that just is you know it's from the the principal and it's yeah. just titled sad news oh, right no. and uh and so i you know i don't know the details but the basic story is that a a boy in my wife in my wife in so my daughter's class senior year uh, a senior died in a car accident
2: no
3: so and i don't awful. know the family i don't yeah. know
1: the boy no my daughter connection. did um so this isn't necessarily about that like oh tragedy has struck my face. this isn't about me. Like this is but, oh, but, but it's, it's just about terrible. Getting the email and just being like oh, exactly or family. Yeah, yeah. You you just go, that family. And then you Ugh. also talk your daughter through it, right? Like yeah. Oh, okay, let's have this conversation. And mm-hmm. then you just imagine you know, I don't want to get too melodramatic, yeah. but you're going, Okay, that child is that kid is the same age as my mm-hmm. daughter or whatever else, and you're just trying to... You don't like to put yourself in that head space, but it's a reminder, again, mm. of something we talk about all the time, of going, this life is not fair. Right. And this life... And I, do, I have no idea of the details behind the yeah. story or yeah. anything. I don't know anything other than the email we got from the school. Yeah. But it got me thinking, man, hey, life is just not fair, and, yeah. and how do you deal with that unfairness? How uh. do we deal with that brokenness. And then That's I do awful. want to encourage people to be praying for this family. Yes. Uh, my guess is this story will pop up in the news sure. and this and that, sure. but um, mm. and so I guess I, it's a heavy topic, but I feel like part of what we do here on the mm-hmm. show is pastorally in mm-hmm. just from our own seasons of life as parents and this and that try to wrestle with each yeah. other. And therefore our listeners of going, what do you do yeah. in your family, in your church when mm. you, when you get these kinds of messages and mm. people are going what do i do life's not fair like that's not fair that's not how things should be how how do you wrestle with that personally with your family but also just when you know people in your church come to you with that you know
2: i i think just what you said that it's not how it should be i i guess i would give anyone permission to feel that really deeply like Mm. a story like that brian is so heavy and you know that family didn't wake up that morning expecting to Mm, lose their, mm -hmm. I think you said son in a car accident. And anytime we face um, tragedies like that, that are unexpected, especially of young ones, there's something that feels very unjust about that. I do think we just have to name, like it shouldn't be this way. Mm. This is terrible. And you know, we've talked about this before, but scripture gives us language for that. It's called lament. Like, God, this is not the way it's supposed to be. And, and, We have permission and we have the invitation to cry out to God in the middle of our pain and our heartache and not pretend like it's something that it isn't. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think sometimes we're too quick to be like, oh, but maybe God needed another angel in heaven. (laughs) No, that's, you know, that's, that's saccharine. That's shallow. That isn't really dealing with the reality Mm -hmm. of evil and pain. Um, it's okay to feel the heaviness of something like mm-hmm, this. And then mm-hmm. it's and then a next step is to pour that out to God. God, I, I hate this. I don't understand where you are in this. Why didn't you prevent that? And again, I mean, you know, the mystery of God is that somehow in our pain, he shows up as the Emmanuel with us, God, that he mm-hmm, is.
1: Mm-hmm. And then uh, uh, that's really good. And I think as a parent and as a pastor, it becomes okay with your kids or with your congregation to go, yeah, I can't wrap this up in a bow. Mm-mm, nope, I can't. Nope. I, if that's what you're looking for, I, I, because it can't yeah. be wrapped up in a bow. It's not exactly. that I don't have the ability. It's because it's not meant to be wrapped yes. up in a bow. And yes. we do a disservice to the brokenness of this world and the struggles and the and the heartache of people when we try to wrap things up in a bow yeah. and just go. Like you said, oh God got an angel, or mm-hmm. oh God must have known you could handle mm-hmm. it. What, what is that? How what? is that helpful right, at all? Right. You know, and so I do think your call there of just saying, "All right, we're just going to give our every, you know, ourselves, our kids, our parishioners, the the invitation to just cry out to God and say, this 'This isn't fair.'
2: This is terrible. And I mean, and there is, I you know, to your point, Brian, there is pain and grief and suffering that's inexplicable. Mm-hmm. And that's it. It is yes. inexplicable. And we have to be able to name that without trying to make it something that it isn't because evil's real. Death is real. Mm-hmm. I think we forget we have this enemy called death, right? And mm. we can blame God for that. But ultimately, we also know that there is an evil one at a work in this world and there is brokenness in this world. And again, just to try to minimize it or to package it somehow is really doesn't do justice to the actual pain, yes. right?
1: Yes. I want you to hear. Uh, This is a minute from a guy by the name of Jerry Sitzer. He was being interviewed by Kay Warren uh, about this very topic of pain and loss. Now, he knows of what he speaks because uh, earlier in this this interview, he shares the story of uh, getting hit by a drunk driver and losing his wife, his daughter, uh, and his mother Mm. all in the same car accident. And so he writes and speaks a lot about grief. And in this part, he's going to talk about the different kind of losses that we suffer. So let's listen to this.
4: Well, I make a distinction, Kay, between what I call um, irreversible losses and then the normal losses that just happen as a consequence of living in a fallen world. The analogy I use is the difference between uh, breaking a leg and having a leg amputated. Uh, Now, both are losses. I mean, if you're a high school student and you break your leg your senior year, you lose your senior year season in baseball or basketball or something like that, that's a real loss. And I suppose you could say it's an irreversible loss, but you know that with time and with uh, a good orthopedic surgeon, you're going to be back on your feet. Maybe you can continue to play uh, college basketball or whatever. Irreversible losses are the kind of loss where the landscape is changed permanently. And there's no going back to what was before. So uh, death of a loved one would be like that. But there are others like that too. It could be the loss of a job, a dream job. And then for the rest of your life, you're scrambling just to find work, but you never find that kind of fulfilling job again. A divorce would be like that. Uh, Those those are two examples of many of what I call irreversible losses that entirely changes the context of your life. I think there's something helpful there about irreversible
1: losses versus normal losses. I've never heard it described that way, but there's something helpful there. Don't you think of like almost categorizing- the pain, not all pain is equal, right. not all loss is equal, right. and we can treat them all differently.
2: Yeah, I, I think that's actually really helpful and really um, uh, validating for people who have been through tremendous pain and suffering, like losing yeah. a child, like losing a family member unexpectedly, because it isn't the same as breaking a leg. It isn't the same as... Um, you know, missing out on a job opportunity. Those things are painful and there's a place to, to grieve and, and be sad about that. but that's not the same as deep, deep mm-hmm. suffering and lament. And so I appreciate that he's I, sometimes we just need words to help us heal right. and though that irreversible loss is the right word for grief that's this heavy.
1: That's good. I, and I think for, uh, I'll close it this way, we as Christ followers, we do have hope that this brokenness and and the enemy of death, as you say, yes. has been defeated. That's right. Uh, and we've got the already not yet where we mm-hmm. struggle with these things now. But there is coming a day where there will be no more death yes. and there will be no more sin and there will be no more tears. Mm. And we can hold on to that. It doesn't change the fact that we still deal with it here, yeah. but it gives us a little bit of – sometimes yeah. people will go, well, things are going to be good We're one day, at- so don't worry still stinks.
0: It's,
2: so it's painful.
1: still painful. It's called it's,
2: suffering for a reason. Yes, yeah.
1: yes, it's still broken and mm-hmm. not how it should be. Uh but you know, Paul writes that where death is your victory. That ultimately right. Jesus stepped in and won that victory so we can right. have that hope. So, thought that was an important conversation to have as as our community uh where I live is wrestling with that, but we all have to go through that here at some point. Well, coming up next. We're excited to be joined by Jennifer Rothschild. Uh, She's going to talk to us about the Fresh Grounded Faith event going on October 15th and 16th in Oswego, right here in our backyard. We're excited to be joined by Jennifer next year on The Common Good AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm, and uh, Aubrey, one of the things we enjoy doing on the show is to be able to highlight cool events going Mm -hmm. on locally just for people to get connected to, to grow their faith, uh, to be challenged and encouraged and inspired. And with that in mind, we're going to talk. Uh, about the Fresh Grounded Faith event going on October 15th and 16th in Oswego. And to talk to us about that is the founder and host of the Fresh Grounded Faith events. That's Jennifer Rothschild. Jennifer, how are you doing today?
3: Oh, I'm so great, and I'm even better being with you guys. Thanks for letting me hang out and tell you about Fresh Grounded Faith because it is exactly what a woman's soul needs. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, we have been in a season, haven't we, where we've missed gathering. Where women are longing for connection with each other and God's word, and that's what Fresh Grounded Faith is. So I am super grateful that we're coming to Oswego in the middle of October.
1: Oh, that's wonderful! That's I love awesome. your energy. Like Me too. I, I'm not a woman, but now I want to go. I'm ready to go. <laughs> You're not
2: invited. Brian.
1: <laughs> I'm not invited. Well, Jennifer, uh, talk to the women out there. What can uh, what can they expect if they go, or they? Can, I think you said they could be online as well. But if if they engage on October fifteenth and sixteenth, uh, what can they expect from that event?
3: Well, you can learn more at FreshGroundedFaith.com because there's so much I don't want you to miss. Because not only will I be sharing um, from the scriptures, that's, that's my goal is to offer women fresh, grounded truth. And I'll be talking about what it means to be a woman who is truly empowered by the Spirit of God, what I call a she-can woman. Mm, and so I've learned a lot of that just from how the Lord has made His truth come alive in me. Mm. I lost my eyesight when I was a teenage girl, so mm. here I am, way into adulthood. I won't <laughs> tell you how many decades <laughs> <in>. <laughs> but I lost, you know, I lost my eyesight so early, so I've lived in physical darkness mm. longer than physical light. So when, when Scripture says that I can do all things through Christ, I have seen that it is through Christ that that comes true, and I want women to experience that. So I'm going to be teaching Scripture, but we also have... What I call the perfect girlfriend blend. Crystal Payne, who is the money saving mom mm. um, with the Crystal Payne podcast. She's a best selling author. She's going to be with us. Also, singer, songwriter, author Timmy Trent, who has an incredible story of loss and victory that had a lot to do with 9 11. She's going to sing and dance and bring so much life and energy. Oh, wow. Sean Groves is going to lead worship. It's going to be fantastic. So, if women want to learn more, or if the men listening, want to bless the women in their life Mm and you can go to freshgroundedfaith.com and check it out and get tickets.
2: I love that. And again, you can attend the event online or in person. And like you said, it's so fun to have an in-person event again. I think women are so hungry for this. Jennifer, can you tell us who should come? Is this moms and daughters? Is this a little older women? Is this small groups? Is this everybody everywhere all the time? Who should (laughs) come to the Fresh Grounded Faith event?
3: Well, I wish Brian could come, but it is just for women. (laughs) But we're super intentional about the way we present treats from stage. So that a a young woman, a teenage girl, you know, 13, 14. She's going to feel very comfortable and like it is super accessible. Yet, the woman who's 80 years old and who's been to church her whole life and taught the Bible, it's going to feel like she's right there in the presence of the Lord. But Mm. what I really want women to know, it is a safe place full of grace. So if a woman has never even been to church or the last time was when she was six and her granny dragged her on Easter, she's going to feel loved and accepted and safe. And whatever the size of her cup of faith, I just know the Lord's going to fill it.
1: That's wonderful. Again, that's happening Friday and Saturday, October 15th and 16th. It's hosted by Harvest New Beginnings and other many other area churches. The venue is at 5315 Douglas Road in Oswego. Um. Uh, yeah, we would encourage people to be a part of that. Jennifer, you already did this a little bit, but I would love for you to give people a glimpse into what you're going to talk about. Maybe, uh, yeah, let, we're going to give you the microphone mm-hmm. to preach a little bit and give a glimpse into what people will hear. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
3: Well, you know, I think more than ever, we have become more acquainted with our frailty. Mm-hmm. I mean, the pandemic came in, and it just pulled the world out from under us. And so much of us who felt like we had a sense of control realized, It was just an illusion to begin with. Mm. And sometimes that just makes us weary. Our souls get weary. And if there's anything that I have learned in the classroom of blindness is that when Scripture says you can, then our response is to say I can. But here's the thing. It's not our responsibility to say I can. Because sometimes we just don't feel like we've got it. Mm. But to really be a she can woman means it is your response to his ability, saying I can, that is your response Mm -hmm. to God's ability in you. Because I get it. I've just written a Bible study called Take Courage on the book of Haggai. And sometimes we're like, well, Lord, I'd like to take courage, but I don't have any. I got nothing else to pull from. Mm. But just like God told those people who are so discouraged in the book of Haggai, you can take courage. You can do what I've called you to do. You can be what I've called you to be. Because... I am with you. And it is God's presence. It's his word. It's his promises. It's his people that he uses to empower us for every single thing we say.
2: Mm, so beautiful. And Jennifer, step back a little bit. How did God put this idea into your heart for these events? Why are you so passionate about fresh, grounded faith events?
3: Well, obviously, I like coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to put that out there. But truly, I wanted women to experience that thing that they experience when they go to their favorite coffee shop. You know that feeling, right? You're having a stressful morning, and you're just barely making it, and you stop into that coffee shop, and it's like, oh, okay, I think I'm going to be okay. And you look around, and you're like, I don't know anybody here, but these are my people. They mm-hmm. get me. you know. And then you're drinking that beverage, and suddenly you're, Oh, you're grounded, but at the same time, you're, you're like, invigorated, and you feel like you're a part of something. That's exactly why I named this and created this to be that kind of environment. Fresh Grounded Faith is that same kind of feeling where you may walk in, you may know nobody, but you're like, these are my people, and as you're drinking God's truth, you're like... Oh, Oh, I feel like I can take on the day. And the beautiful thing about it, it's not about one woman, one denomination, one church. It's all God's girls coming together. It's what we call a kingdom-minded event. So this event in Oswego, yes, it'll be hosted at the Harvest Church, but there's so many co-host churches mm-hmm. that are partnering together. So it unifies the community, lifts up the local church connection with each other and
1: ultimately lift up Jesus. That's a good word, Jennifer. Uh, again, I'm, I'm jealous. I'm jealous that I can't go.
2: <laughs> There's a lot for you, Brian. Yes. This is the thing for us.
1: There you go. Hey, Jennifer, you might not be aware of this, but th- are you aware that today is National Coffee Day?
2: Okay,
3: well,
1: yes, I am. And I've already <laughs> had a free cup. You already
3: had your free cup. Ex- my energy probably but i actually got four texts this morning happy coffee day happy coffee day, I
2: <laughs> that is I don't, amazing i do know if
3: that's good i think i've got too much of a reputation
1: <laughs> that's outstanding well let us let us uh wish you also a happy coffee day so again <laughs> let me tell people about the fresh grounded faith event it's happening locally october 15th and 16th uh in oswego Uh, You can learn more about this event at freshgroundedfaith.com. That's freshgroundedfaith.com. And if you want to learn more about Jennifer, you could go to jenniferrothchild.com. That's jenniferrothchild.com. Jennifer, it is wonderful to meet you. I hope the event goes great. Thanks for joining us today.
3: Oh, thanks for letting me be there. And by the way, Brian, we'll miss you.
1: Thank you very <laughs> That's much. So That's kind. all I needed That's to so hear. <laughs> Again, thanks. I hope, hope everyone goes to the event. You're listening to The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life.
2: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. And we're so glad that you're with us today. Big news for the Chicago Bears. I'm not sure what I think about this, but I'm anxious to know what you, as a sports fan, think about this. Chicago Bears sign a $197.2 million 22. purchase agreement for the Arlington Heights racetrack. Yes. Does this mean Soldier Field is moving nope. to well, Arlington Heights?
1: So there's more steps. Man, you're really going to let me talk sports. This I'm ready. Is fun. Okay. Uh, this means that, that this is a big step in that direction. Soldier Field is not moving, but the Bears... Um, very well might be moving to kind of our backyard here at the station, to Arlington Heights, where the racetrack is, right? The racetrack's up for so, sale. But
2: this is what I'm asking. So they would leave Soldier, Soldier. Field yes. and play in Arlington Heights?
1: Yes. And it would Question be, mark? It would be a wonderful move, in my opinion. Okay,
2: but why? they? But the you got the football field in the city, and you can see so, the lake. And So
1: because they can build one of these state-of-the-art stadiums, uh. that is going to be a moneymaker, maker. That is going to host Super Bowls and other. Okay, okay. It's, it's going to be and how long does it take you to get from Chicago out versus going? That's into true. Game? It's
2: hard to leave Soldier. And Field. let me just
1: put it this way to people who you know are like, well, they're the Chicago Bears. You have to be in Chicago. They be in Chicago. So the New York Jets and the New York Giants both play in New Jersey, overlooking New mm. York. The Dallas Cowboys okay. play in a little suburb called Arlington, and they built their huge. Yes. The Los Angeles Rams and the Los Angeles Chargers. They don't play in Los Angeles. They have okay. this beautiful new stadium. My point being, a lot of these teams have moved out of the cities and built these just gorgeous, gorgeous stadiums that will cost in the billions. Here's my guess. The first time that Kevin says, hey, Aubrey, I'd really like to take you to a Bears game up in Arlington Heights. You're going to sit in that place and go, this this is cool. This was it. So, of course, people will feel some loss about this. But I think it, it just... It will be state of the art. So there are some things, and it's not like it's going to happen next year. If sure, it of We're course not.
2: Ten years down the road, five maybe. years down yeah. the road, yeah.
1: But but this was a huge step towards it. People have been like, "Are they bluffing? Are they this?" Mm. This seems to say that this is a very serious move, and okay.
2: Uh, so the Bears just aren't in the like racetrack business now. No, no. Okay, okay. The racetrack
1: is selling, so someone's gonna buy the wow. racetrack. Wow. Like, so no, this would become like and, okay. But,
2: then what's the future of Soldier Field? It becomes a stadium for concerts or something, a venue
1: that is becomes the difficulty because the Bears don't own Soldier Field, so mm. that's also the, the Chicago Park District, I believe, owns it, and, and your Bears Bears rented. That. That's also okay. a big part of this. But yeah, concerts, soccer. Okay. High school football—it feels like a big stadium for those. Types I mean, of things, really? But that's what happens, okay? Because they won't knock it down, right? It's a landmark, but um, it happens. So if okay. I'm the Bears, I'm going. Yes, we're going to go build this. If you if you know the new stadium in LA, Las Vegas, Dallas, all of these things. I mean, they're multi billion dollar stadiums. Wow, that are just cash cows. And okay. Then think about it. in Arlington Park there, you'd be able to build restaurants, that's hotels, true. That's It would true. be a whole area it's not just a stadium it's going to become it becomes a
2: whole, a whole park yes.
1: essentially yes it, it becomes,
2: is you know i saw justin timberlake and jay-z at soldier field a few years ago and it was terrible to try to get out of there so awful. perhaps that helps awful.
1: that situation as well and okay. those of our friends who go to harvest bible chapel it's literally across the street <laughs> wow from you. they're
2: excited
1: yeah i would i would think so they're gonna think be about that on game day
2: so, oh, man, seriously, going to be handing out tracks, telling people out Jesus that are going <laughs> to the... we making sure day. the
1: service ends by 11. <laughs> right, <and> seriously, <laughs> making sure they all get over there in
2: time. All right, church. well, that's big news for the Chicago Bears. All right, speaking of Chicago Bears, now, you're a New York fan. I am. Are you also a Chicago Bears fan, or I did the not. two not... Okay, so the two don't coexist. I don't
1: mind the Bears. The only... This will make some people mad at me. There's only one Chicago team that I kind of, like... Kind of rude against, and that's the Cubs. They, the okay, because you're a big Cubs. Mets fan. Yeah. Okay. So, but I am going to the Giants Bears game later in the year. Right now, it looks like both teams might have the worst records in the league because it's the last game of the season. But yeah, Chat. I'm a New York Giants fan. They are terrible. I'm a New York Mets fan. They rip my heart out every year. So yeah, okay. I apologize to my son the other day for how raising. <laughs> oh, right, <him.
2: laughs> remember saying. Okay, this is actually a really good segue to what I want to talk about because Brian, just for you, I listen to a sports podcast. I am I'm Jason beyond Goff, impressed. he yes. has he was a sportscaster, he has a podcast called The Full Go. It's really all about Chicago sports. And uh, someone called in a listener from Taiwan who's a massive Bears fan. He talks about how he stays up, you know, because of the time difference till 1 a.m. Watching the Bears. He's brokenhearted. Every soon. It starts at it starts 1 a.m. So he gets up. He tries not to. He tries to sleep through it, but he can't. He's like tortured by the team. I want to play for our listeners what he said. And I need you to explain this sort of fan mentality yes, for ready. me. Okay, here we go. Hey,
3: Jason. Uh, this is Kareem I'm out in Taiwan right now. I've been living outside the country for five years, and
5: i got to say, like, I've been staying up and watching Bears games the whole time. I haven't missed a single one. With the time zone difference, these noon
3: games, that's 1 a.m. over here. And I'm a middle school English teacher, and I barely sleep. I wake up at 1 a.m. I watch these games, and every time, I swear, I keep telling myself, I can't do this no more, but I know next week I'm going to do it and I'm going to be watching the Detroit game. No one are going to find a way to blow that. It's tiring, man, if this team takes advantage of its fans' loyalty because I do feel like Bears fans are more loyal than most. It's part of the city, you know? Anyway, I just need to get that off my chest.
2: All right, so this poor guy, we have like a minute I left, right? but tell me about this poor guy, because I'm i like, just don't watch the game. Go to sleep. What's the deal? See, He's torturing himself.
1: I understand every fabric of this okay, guy's Okay, so big.
2: explain him to me, and then give me some pastoral word.
1: Because the Giants, let's take the Giants. They're 0-3. Okay. They have the worst record in all of football over the last four years. Like they, wow. They just lose now.
2: Okay. And I
1: love them, and I want to watch them, and every week, I invest three hours into the game. <laughs> They lose in some heartbreaking fashion. Oh. I apologize to my son, who feels the same way. Yes. And you know what I do the next Sunday?
2: What? You do it again.
1: Yeah. I may, in fact, pay extra money so that I can watch them in Chicago <laughs> through the NFL Sunday ticket. And so wow. I get this. I still watch Mets games, even though I know they're going to stomp on my heart. That's what it means to be a fan, a fanatic Okay. And uh, I don't know the pastoral word. Make this
2: but, but Preach that for, in 30 seconds. Tell me, for the Christian, what's the lesson? You need to have some perspective.
0: Okay, okay. <laughs> have
1: some perspective. <laughs> and, you know, I guess you could be really cheesy about it and say, hey, have that same passion for Jesus. But it's cheesy because it's true, right? Like, right. Have, have that same passion. I get this fandom, and I think deep down we all enjoy it. This guy in Taiwan loves watching the Bears. Clearly he There's loves that. But just have the right perspective about it. Just... <laughs> Have some perspective, and I'm preaching to myself yeah. there because I struggle, and I throw my phone, and I do things <laughs> like this. I understand this guy in Taiwan. If I lived in Taiwan, I'd, I'd get up and watch. You do giant the same game. thing, hundred. 100- percent and I hate myself every weekend and then I do it again the next weekend. You understand this because your husband posts every week wearing Super Bowl, a Bears jersey. I know, bless he his heart. heart.
2: He gets it. All right. Well this is not convincing me to be a sports fan, but we'll keep going <laughs> as time goes on and see what happens. Next up we're gonna talk about the three phases of evangelical deconstruction. You're listening to the common good on AM eleven sixty Hope for your life. everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. I'm Aubrey Sampson, joined by my co-host, Brian Fromm, and we're so glad to have you with us. One of the things that we've talked about on the show before and what we see in culture a lot right now is this phrase, deconstruction. That's right. And ultimately, what deconstruction, I guess, is, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of categorizing this broadly, but people who are not happy with the church or their faith as they've been practicing or, or as they grew up with it and are... Wanting to step back and, um almost demolish it ideally so they can build it back up yes. in a new fresh way now what we don't always see that building back up sometimes we see people walk away from right. Christianity altogether but I think that's the idea
1: destruction <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes
2: there you go but the point of deconstruction is deconstruct in order to reconstruct mm-hmm. okay so Scott McKnight who's on the show later this week I, I think so. on Friday we're fans of Scott he's Big a fans. theologian oh as we learned, he's actually a as we will learn he's actually a biblical scholar not yes. Not just a theologian, right? And um he's an author and really influential around here as far as Christian thinking, but he's been writing on a um a lot on deconstruction. Mm-hmm. He has a series right now on his blog about deconstruction, and he unpacks the three phases of deconstruction that I thought were kind of interesting. Our listeners might um, you know, enjoy this as we kind of unpack what deconstruction is. He says this. Many today claim that they are in a phase of deconstruction. He says, I have not been able to determine just exactly what they mean by deconstruction, but the general point is clear. They find the Christian faith as they have experienced it to be inadequate. Mm. Perhaps it's an intellectual problem, a hypocrite problem, a social problem, but they're following the church, falling short. And so he um, observes three phases of deconstruction that I thought maybe we could unpack for our listeners. Yeah. Okay. The first phase, he says, is liminality. Deconstruction for many is something like a halfway house between confining church experiences, release, preparation, and eventually re-socialization. Many state that they have negative church experiences. They're still convinced the church ought to be something different and better, but they can no longer be genuinely present in church, Mm -hmm. participating in the systemic direction of the church. And thus, they see that kind of participation as a form of hypocrisy. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that?
1: I think this is what we think of when we think of deconstructing. They're going, on some level, I I don't know what I think about all of this because I don't like the church. Right. I've had this experience, or I've seen this hypocrisy, or I've seen this abuse, and therefore I want to remove myself from the church, so therefore I have to figure out if that means I remove myself from all of this.
2: Exactly. And,
1: and um, I, I think that's uh, that's often what I think about when I think about deconstruction. What They're saying I don't want to be part of this anymore, so therefore what does it mean to even the very foundation? And yeah,
2: so- yeah. And I have a, a couple friends who are in the process of deconstructing right now, as they would say, and some have stayed in church mm-hmm. and are deconstructing within church, Others have said, I can no longer be a part of any church and aren't even looking at maybe other churches that fit into whatever system they prefer. Scott McKnight says that many in this phase are ambiguous, anxious, wounded, and wondering. Mm. All right, then he says the second phase is elimination. What many deconstructors do is begin to eliminate elements of their previous church life's belief. They discard things like creationism, dispensationalism, Christian nationalism, inerrancy, original sin, evangelism as commonly practiced, etc. They Mm -hmm. enter this phase of not only knowing what they don't believe, but they decisively chuck some things aside. (laughs) What do you think about that one?
1: Yeah, that's where it starts to get dangerous, right? Because, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm all for eliminating some of those things that are not um, um, majors. They are not... Uh, salvific, right? Like, yeah. okay, I don't believe in this seven-day creationism right. that I was told you have to believe in. Right. Great. I know lots of great theologians who don't believe in seven-day creationism. Right. I don't really believe in a seven-day creationism. So, right. uh, and, and I don't think that that's an essential. We right. can agree to disagree. Right. Christian nationalism, all stuff. When you start going down the line and you start treating, though, the Christian faith like it's a buffet and going, I don't want this. I do want that you you could very easily end up with something that doesn't look like Christianity at all you've right. kind of made up your own religion right. this is where the creeds become important this is where totally. uh you know historic faith and orthodoxy yes. becomes important because it's one thing to be deconstructing the way we do church sure. or some of these uh kind of side issues or yes. some of the political nature of things but once you start talking about things like original sin yeah. or uh, the role of Jesus, right. these kinds of things. Now you start eliminating things that make you no longer under the umbrella of Christianity.
2: Right, no longer Orthodox. Which might be what
1: you're looking for. Yeah. But I just think we have to call it what it is then.
2: can I? We're going to unpack the last one, which he says is liberation. But I, I want to talk about this quickly because I feel like I have been able to parse out things like, I, I don't know if I believe in a literal seven-day creation. Nope. I don't. Of course, you and I talk against nationalism all the time on this yep. show. I don't feel the need to say, I'm deconstructing my faith. Correct. I'm just like, oh, no, I just think this is uh, who, who Jesus is matters. And I want to look at uh, historically what church has believed across the globe for centuries yeah. and affirm that. The creeds, like you were talking about, what is the need to say aloud or say online or... Or label it, I am deconstructing. Do you understand that? I
1: don't, but it's a total trend right now. It is. It's a badge of honor. Yeah. It's a little bit of our social media world. I guess that's it. uh, Where not only can I wrestle with something, but I have to wrestle with it publicly. Yeah. And let's be honest, Aubrey, there is an entire niche right now of authors, speakers, bloggers, uh, social media influencers. And they're making money. They're making a lot of money by being... deconstructors, right. if you will, right. and encouraging others to do that. And so I don't want to be so cynical to say that some there aren't a lot of people out there who are genuinely trying to deconstruct Re- and figure out whether to exactly. reconstruct. But we do need to be honest that there's a little bit of a niche market right now. of People yeah. going, oh, I can be the deconstructing guy. Right. I can be this and doing right. it publicly. I, I take, I when people are doing it publicly, I kind of go, I don't, I'm not sure they're really doing it. Yeah. Because uh, I think this is so personal and so deep that, that I can't imagine doing it On Facebook, I mean, that's
2: how I feel too. It feels like such a personal, serious thing to be deconstructing your faith. And I feel like you would, you know, again, maybe I'm, maybe I'm being too harsh and I'm willing to hear that, but that you would be doing it with your small group or Mm -hmm. you'd be doing it with your therapist or your spiritual director, your pastor, like, or just your own heart before your spouse or best friend, not necessarily like waving it around like a flag on social media, but perhaps I'm wrong. All right. And then... Um, Let's move on. Scott McKnight says the third phase is liberation. Many deconstructors find a new way and their newfound confidence in their new way mirrors their former confidence. Mm. Their personal their personality type comes to expression again. If they were feisty fundies, they become feisty fundies again. If they were moderates before that, they become intellect. Wait, they become that again. If they were intellectual, they become that again or they remain intellectuals. So that's interesting really, to me. I'm shocked by that.
1: He says these deconstructors become, in other words, reconstructors. They reconstruct their Christian faith from the foundation up, laying brick on brick, but can end up kind of being what they were before. His point being, here's the point, Aubrey. I, I guess I would I would for me, deconstruction is a is a worthy um, thing if the goal is reconstruction, if the goal yes, is a hundred percent goal if it 's just to deconstruct for then it 's just destruction and Scott McKnight wrote another blog post uh looking at this, and the entire blog post, kind of reflecting upon this, he says beyond deconstruction, start here, and he writes so beautifully an mm. entire blog post that essentially says, point people to the person of jesus that 's right, not the concept of Jesus, yes. not even the teachings of Jesus, point them to the person of Jesus and he ends it by saying deconstructors don't want a Jesus who can be used. They want Jesus. He's enough. We can start with Jesus, the person. We can
4: trust. That's it. We
1: can trust that Jesus is bigger than our our doubts and our and our questions. And so I think that's a great pastoral word there from Scott McKnight.
2: Yep. Love that. We'll stick around. Coming up next we're going to talk about something positive and fun. This dad on TikTok is doing some incredible things to fight stereotypes in parenting. Stick around for that. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good on this Wednesday evening. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm, and we are sending you home. As we like to do, we like to send you out with something encouraging or inspiring, something for you to think about and... I was watching uh, something that I like to watch, videos on Good Morning America. You do like Good, mo- do like- yeah, good Morning America. I'm the Today
1: Show person. You're the Good Morning America Yeah, I'm the Good
2: Morning America person because they just share jolly videos they of do. people doing inspiring things. And today there was a video about a dad on TikTok who has adopted, he- they have several foster kids. Um, they've adopted some mm-hmm. of those foster kids. He and his wife struggled with infertility and began a really a passion for caring for foster kids. And what he does is make these TikTok videos of him singing with one of those voice core. I don't even know what they're called, like vo d- yeah. quarter. It kind of changes your I've voice. I've never seen it. Yeah. Um, but really his goal is to inspire dads around the world to try a softer approach at parenting, especially if the man feels like he needs to be extra harsh or extra strong. And yep. and so I wanted us to hear a clip of him talking about his passion for these kids and his passion for looking at parenting a little bit differently
5: the most rewarding thing about being a black foster to adopt parent and having such a diverse family is breaking down the stereotypes me and my wife we struggled with infertility one moment like my wife pulls me to the side and she's like I think we should look into foster care because we have the desire to take care of children. And since we're not able to have our own, we can still make use of our house and we can still give love to those that need it. There's not a lot of portrayals of dads with a soft um, approach towards their children. With my wife and I, We quickly realized that this is a team effort that we need to go into with our children, being that they do come from a a place of trauma, that we both need to be involved and engaged with our emotions, with our children. I think that it's important to portray that elsewhere because maybe there's other dads that might need to switch up gears and see that it's okay and see that somebody else is doing it. The negative things, that observations that people make about my family, they often come up and they say, oh, the little girl with the blonde hair and the blue eyes, she belongs to the mom. And the two African-American children, they belong to the dad. It doesn't matter if they're blood or if they're bio, whatever it is. Your child is your child. You're the real dad. You're the real mom.
2: Okay, so that's Jason just saying, especially because the kids that he and his wife are um, fostering and then adopting have been through trauma. Mm-hmm. And so his whole heart is uh, we can't foster, we, or we can't parent these kids who've been through trauma in a harsh way. Yeah. We have to do it in a soft way and we have to try a different approach. And I I don't know, I just thought there was something really inspiring about that. Brian, you're a dad. What did you think?
1: I love, first of all, the idea of anytime you see someone who's foster parenting a lot of children, yeah, there's something inspiring about that. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Infertility is awful, and then but they said, okay, here is what we can do. Yeah, and, and so this is what we're going to do. Uh, but secondly, uh, I this idea that not all parents are the same, all dads have to be the same. Mm. I think is a wonderful reminder because a lot of us, you know, you watch TV or you watch this all the time. You know, the dad is kind of distant, kind of authoritarian. Right. Right. Might have moments and glimpses of like a tender heart, but for the most part, those were like different, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of us guys don't feel that way. You know, like we yeah. love our kids and we want to wrestle with our kids and spend time yeah. and, and the kids cause emotions in our lives. And you're like, well, what's the real, you know, what's a dad supposed to be? What's mm-hmm. this? and there's truth in every portrayal, but I just do love the idea where he's like, you know, I'm the soft dad with this kid. Yeah. It's also a reminder that our parenting style changes with different children. And uh, this kid needs that, this kid needs that. And so, I love the picture of the well-rounded dad here. Um but yeah, just it's inspiring the the way that they're loving for kids who have uh, have experienced trauma. Um him and his wife are a mixed race marriage, mm-hmm. so they have like mixed race foster kids. Yeah, I love that. Like, there's a lot of good going on in the story that was birthed out of bad. Infertility's a bad thing, yeah. but but they were able uh, to not use that, but they said, OK, they, they accepted that. And now they've they've birthed this kind of beautiful thing.
2: Yeah, ignited this kind of new passion in their lives. I mm-hmm. think it is really beautiful. I, I wonder, like two things came to mind. Do you think genera- generationally dads are more able now to show emotion and a softer side than they have been?
1: I think so. Or is that
2: just a stereotype about generation? That I don't
1: know. Yeah. Because I, I've i only been a dad in this generation. You just know what the stereotypes were. Right. Right? Like, um, you know, what were the TV dads? They were always, they came home from work mm-hmm. and the wife had dinner ready. Mm-hmm. And they were always, it always struck me as odd how many times when you watch old TV shows, the dad is reading the newspaper at the dinner table.
2: Right. And not engaging with his kids. And like everyone's
1: kind of walking on eggshells yeah. and this, that. And so- you're right. That could just be a stereotype. And right. that's not actually how people reacted. But now it feels much more accepted that dads are super involved. Right. And dads are are right there, like as co-parent. Like right. At least the media media's portrayal, at least uh portrayal used to always be Mom kinda raised the kids mm-hmm. and took care of the home, dad mm-hmm. went to work, and then when dad got home, we made sure dad got his time to rest. Yeah. You know, unwind, read the paper, get him his slippers, all this kind of stuff. Again, who knows if that's how dads actually were. Right. Uh somebody could tell us who grew up in the fifties and sixties, but uh I don't feel like that's how it is now. You know <laughs> ironically, because of what ended up happening in his life with Kim, I do feel like in the in the uh in T V this changed uh kind of with Bill Cosby, didn't it? Like the Cosby show interesting not only was he a different kind of African American dad than mm-hmm. it ever he was really just a different dad than right, had been portrayed. Right. Super, super funny, engaged. Involved. It was all he was super involved mm-hmm. in his kids' lives. So his you know. wife
2: worked as a doctor. Yes, she said yes. so she was not necessarily the stay-at-home counterpart to his working counterpart. Right. Yeah,
1: and so I just think it was, um, you know, I, I at least the way dads are portrayed are different. And so when people hear stories like this guy going man, he's really kind of pouring his life out mm. for his children. He's like all about his kids. Yeah. It's it's really inspiring. Yeah,
2: there's something really inspiring about it. I think the other thing that stood out to me as I was watching these videos was, you know, we talked about these kids have been in trauma. Because of that, he's trying a softer approach to parenting. And it did make me think, okay, the whole world has been in trauma. You know, if you think about 2020 coming out of the pandemic and coming out of the political unrest and the racial violence, like it has been difficult. And it feels like we're not carrying a softer approach toward one another. Instead, it feels like we we read those statistics yesterday. The FBI crime report came Mm, out and murder has increased by 30 percent. It feels like generally we have responded not with a softer approach, but with a much harder approach. We have been harsh to one another and divisive to one another. I wonder if this is a little microcosm of how all of us should be treating not just our kids, but each other coming out of this collective trauma we've experienced. Can we try softer? Can we try kinder? And can, in that way, we bring healing to one another after coming out of 2020? Yeah,
1: and I just think... Like dads be engaged in your kids' lives. Yeah. Like if you've but if you feel like you've bought into mm. kind of that stereotype of like I don't know dads are supposed to be distant and yeah. be authoritarian and this, there's times for authoritarian of course you know but there there's also times for moms to be that way yep. right and so yep. I don't buy into that stereotype just love your kids be engaged with your kids be in your kids' lives. Uh, pray for your kids love them, cry with them, laugh with yeah. them and uh, and just know that, that then you're doing kind of God's work. what you've yeah. been called to do when he blessed you with those kids.
2: Yeah, that's good and a shout out to all the foster parents out Absolutely. there and the adopted parents out there you are our heroes. Well thanks so much for joining us today. We'll be back tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m for Brian From I'm Aubrey Sampson and you've been listening to the common good on AM 1160 hope for your life.